Angus Young, how you doing? Good, Becker. The offspring. How's it going, Becker? Dave Grohl, how you going, mate? Good, man. Pete, it's been a long time coming. Oh, Becker, hasn't it indeed? We go inside the dressing room, speak to the biggest names in music. Keith Richards, the Rolling Stones. And crack open their esky. This is exactly how I imagined you, by the way, sitting opposite me with a vodka and orange. You're a discerning chap. This is The Rider. Hey, this is Becca. Welcome to it. Here we are, episode two of The Rider. Thanks to everyone who subscribed over the last week, uh, all the NXS fan groups. Andrew Farris really was a, a great chat last week on the show. You can go back and listen to it. He's such a, a warm person. He really opened up about so many things, including uh, his father's influence on the band, um, the loss of Michael, and, and also the great team they were, Michael and himself as songwriters. And I think the biggest thing I took from that too is um, the band really believed in 97 and that was going to be a big turnaround of their career. And um, they just felt like they were on the cusp of something really big with that uh, final tour with Michael. So uh, you can check that out right now. Now, first up, massive news this week. Midnight Oil are wrapping things up. It was always really important to this band to be able to deliver for the audience and just make it count. We're about giving that audience everything that we had, everything that was happening on stage, we wanted to give to them buckets. And as you were setting things up, I kept asking questions, I went, why are you nailing the drum kit to the floor? And the first song, they destroyed it. They're not saying goodbye just yet, but what they're saying is uh, this will be their last tour, and uh, this has been a five-year run since they first came back. And that led to the Great Circle Tour, which was 77 shows in 16 countries. Uh, you might have been in London. That was a big gig over there. There was the Greek Theatre in Los Angeles. And, of course, wrapping things up uh, at the Domain, which was one of those iconic gigs as well. But uh, their album Resist is coming out in Feb. So the tour starts uh, in Newcastle in February. We've got 14 outdoor and arena shows. There's a bunch of Day on the Green shows. You've got Blues Fest, of course, uh, and Mona and Tassie as well and the last show is going to be april 21 in sydney there might be some more shows being added to that uh as things go but and that really is uh, going to be something special for midnight oil fans uh in 2022 so this week on the show ben lee first time i heard ben was when he had his band noise addict which i had heard on a cassette when sonic youth was touring he had a fearlessness to what he was doing I'm Ben Lee, I got my own album out, and that's the side of the dog. Ben Lee is someone that uh, all Aussie music fans just love. He's been getting so much traction over the last few months in lockdown. Uh, his new album is coming out next year, I'm Fun, which is his 20th album, which is just insane. Uh, you probably heard the new song, Born For This Bullshit, uh, which is out, and uh, he's been doing a lot of stuff online, a lot of TikTok with his family, and uh, so there's lots to cover off with Ben, you know, what was life like growing up uh, in Bondi, a, a Jewish family, and then he took off to the USA and straight away slotted into a bit of a, a celebrity circle of friends, and he was playing in New York City, he was discovered by the Beastie Boys, and so I think it's time now we uh, bring him into the chat. Uh, he's dialing in from uh, LA via Zoom, and I can see his video is just coming through right now. Ben Lee, how are you? I'm good, mate. How are you? Man, I'm good. I'm good. You're back in LA. You've, you've, you came over to Sydney during the pandemic. I think it kind of timed it perfectly because you, you came over with the family, you wrote some music. Yeah, well, I, you know, it's funny, even despite the lockdown, because I was doing a lot of promo and stuff for my single, like I we sort of worked all the way through it. So um, yeah, it was sort of actually a really busy year. So it suddenly we're like 
back in LA and it's time to like, just, you know, we're working on some other projects and just, uh, yeah, it feels like the right timing. Well, first of all, because it is the writer, I have to ask you, um, you know, you've been doing a lot of touring since you're a teenager. What is in your writer currently? What do you ask for when you're doing your shows? Well, I mean, you know, it's your own money. I mean, that's the thing that like <laughs> most artists don't realize. Sparkling water for myself, some scotch in case I'm hosting people or something like that, and some fresh fruit. Yeah, that keeps it simple because there's no point in putting in a bottle of scotch and a bottle of um, Grey Goose in there when you're paying it for yourself, really, is there? Yeah, and I, yeah, exactly. It's like people think it's a gift or something that, uh, you know... <laughs> But that would have been different though when you were probably 17 or 18 touring then. When you're living on the bus and everything, you tend to restock all your, like replenish all your supplies uh, with the rider each night. So I remember there was phases where people got really into like towels and socks <laughs> and um, and all that kind of thing. Hummus, yeah. I mean, you know, like most musicians can't look at hummus when they're off the road. Um, the, the weirdest one though was in Germany, I remember we asked for like a vegetable platter and they just gave us a whole raw cauliflower with cream sauce dripping, like Thousand <laughs> Island sauce just dripping over the top. Yeah. Like perfect, perfect uh, sustenance for vegetarians, I guess. You've had some great yeah, moments in your life, you know, to talk about great meals as well. I remember sort of reading something where you're on tour with um, Sean Lennon and you were- Oh, in Sean, Japan. yeah, in Japan. Yeah. yeah, that was actually probably one of the best meals I've ever had in my life. Um, we went to a, yeah, Buddhist temple where all of the food was grown on the property and served. And it was like this eight course vegan feast. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable, unbelievable. And the thing is, you know, you're, you're surrounded by these in, incredible people. Um, I often wonder whether you got starstruck because you were doing it so early in your career. Like, did you get used to that early on or was it, was it just a normal life at that point? Yeah, I still, um, I still get starstruck, but I also get starstruck by like young artists when I like their albums. You know yeah. what I mean? Like for me, talent is more than fame is awe-inspiring. Um, yeah. Like just because someone's like, on a TV show or a model or something like it doesn't, I'm not going to be like super starstruck by them, but when people are very charismatic and talented. Um, so yeah, I, I always, I, I think that's okay. You know, like, I think it's not a bad thing to maintain that sense of like being a fan and feeling like, yeah, like a little bit in awe of, of people whose work you respect. Yeah. Yeah, no, well said. And you moved back to Sydney and we caught up actually at your house about yeah. a year ago and you had two songs almost ready to go. And and, and one of them was Born For yeah. This Bullshit and straight away it was like a, a no-brainer. It was it just yeah. sort of fit the, fit the mood of what we're going through right now. And, and since then you've worked on an entire album which comes out next year, I'm Fun, which by the way has got yeah. the greatest album cover of all time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love it too. Yeah, I mean the whole yeah. album we would have put out sooner, but I don't know if you've heard about it. It's something a lot of artists are talking about. There's a massive backlog with the vinyl pressing plants. Not not only because I guess Adele, they're printing like 500,000 copies, which is like the, the <laughs> biggest vinyl press that's been done in years. Um, yeah. But but yeah, that's really, uh, it really set things back. And, and you want to be both fair to fans that want to buy something on vinyl um, and also have them count as sales for you mm. know, charting and all that kind of thing. So, so yeah, it was a bit funny, but, but at the end of the day, 
it's it's kind of it's not a bad thing to have a longer run up where you can really um you know you can really like explore the themes of the record through videos and all this sort of stuff over a longer period i'm not too bummed out about it yeah it's sort of who would have thought that in this year that that would be counting uh vinyl sales so heavily but it's true because streaming is only just just tiny and if you can get um a few thousand records sold um that is going to weight that so much yeah i don't know the exact weighting but it's the kind of thing where like yeah if you sell i think if you sell a thousand copies of vinyl in australia that's like a chart placement basically you're in the top 10 so it's one of those things that like you you sort of i think throughout a career you make you can't help but make some concessions for like commerce um, it's just yeah. part of it. And you've got to decide how far you're willing to go. And it was a conversation I, I had with my manager. We were like, do you, do you think for my audience, do you think it's too long to wait? Like my audience is not necessarily like a pop audience. They want albums, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. but, but at the end of the day, it's also kind of like, I'm on a label that's really supportive and they've been great about funding all my different crazy ideas of which there are many more to come. And so I, I, <laughs> I'm happy to sort of uh, play ball a little bit with their side of it as far as how they want to sell the record, you know. It's a big step for you being, um, you know, into a major label now because all the way through your career, you, you've done uh, you've done it sort of all yourself. I mean, Awake is the New Sleep is the benchmark album Yeah, everyone talks well, I've about. All, yeah, I've like been with majors but only on subsidiaries. So like yeah. I was on Modular, which went through EMI, and I was on Grand Royal, which went through Capital. But I haven't ever directly signed yeah, to a major. Well, I remember at one point we were talking about probably 05, somewhere around there in, in an interview, and, and you said that – I think I asked you, where, where are you living? And you actually said to me straight up, I've got no fixed address. Yeah. Endless touring. You, you had a hotel room pretty yeah. much. Yeah, there was three years there where I did that. And it's funny because in some ways it doesn't sound like that much, like three years, but in the scheme of looking back at my life, like most people never experienced that. So um, mm. so I guess that was sort of a significant experience. Is it Laurel Canyon where you are? Like that's a yeah, yeah that's a pretty yeah. sort of historic musical part of LA. There have been a couple of documentaries and movies coming out in the yeah. last, you know, last six months about it do you feel that musical history driving around there still i mean you know it's like you know it's become much more like essentially like you know middle class and like you know families Mm. and everything but it's still like the kind of people that want to live in laurel canyon are still like a little bit freaky like Mm. even if they've like got families and steady jobs you know it, it does attract a certain kind of bohemian creative person and I like that. I like that history. I think it was Susie from the Baby Animals lives sort of not far from there or for part of the year. And I remember she was saying to me, some of those parts um, that you can hear musicians across the valley rehearsing. And, yeah. and and I think she's not far from one of the Foo Fighters and, and she could hear <laughs> she could hear the echoes of, of some demo being made. And um, I can imagine back in the, the 70s, that would have been just quite exciting. I love being in Sydney. I love Australia. It's such a beautiful kind of quality of life. Um, mm. um, but there's something slightly unhinged about California that I love. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's weird to sort of have a crush on something so unstable. It's weird, man. It's like, this is a country of um, extremes. And Mm. in some ways, like what works creatively in America is the same thing that doesn't work politically. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, like I think the, the, a lot of the things we're talking about, about, yeah, go out there, chase your dream. Anyone can, you know, all that <laughs> vibe. That's great for artists. It's not great for politicians. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's weird that like, it, it really does. I think everywhere does have pros and cons, you know, and you have to be in reality, but luckily, you know, I've never been someone that's too geographically identified. Yeah. Um, yeah. In the sense that I, I think I care more about people and relationships and collaboration rather than sort of where it's happening exactly. And then you've done that with your album, actually. You know, you've it's a whole heap of collaborations there. Um, yeah, Zoe Deschanel is one of one of the the songs you, you worked with her. And um, was that all done remotely? Yeah, everything was done remotely during 2020. Um, and then I came, you know, when I got back to Sydney, me and Justin Stanley got in his studio in Bondi and just mm. tied it all together and added stuff and all that. But but yeah, with the exception of, I think Christian Lee Hudson came around here one afternoon and played a bunch of stuff on guitar. But basically, yeah, yeah basically it was all just remote. But I, I felt like at the time, actually, people were really grateful for the chance to have stuff to work on. It wasn't the feeling of like, oh, every everyone's sad. We have to do it remotely. It was like, oh yeah, something to do. Let's, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 We had Megan Washington on there as well. And, and look, yeah. it's, you know, it's a long wait, but it's obviously going to be worth the wait coming out at this stage, yeah. June 2022. Well, yeah. Yeah. There's going to be a couple of singles before that. Megan sings on um, the next single, which is called Parents Get High. Yeah, and um, yeah. that's a song I did with John Bryan, and so yeah, people, we're gonna like be dripping it out, you know. Through that that gap of no lockdowns in Sydney, you were doing. Would you call it variety shows with your wife? Like 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 uh, yeah, yeah, kind <laughs> of yeah. We were calling yeah. it. It was weirder together, and it was like yeah. music, comedy, performance art, you know, sketches, whatever. It, it's all just about. I I actually think that like my job is almost like to be a party host. Yeah. Whatever it takes, man. You just keep the party going. But all the way through, you know, your um, TikTok videos you were doing were just so clever. And I think it's what everyone needed at the time in, in the middle of uh, an extended lockdown in Sydney, particularly. Everyone was commenting about they were loving these videos you were putting out. They were just taking a piss. Yeah, I mean, I, I've actually quite enjoyed TikTok because yeah. I, I find... I like actually like all the various social platforms. I mean, they all have their own pitfalls and strengths mm. and whatever, but but they are all echo chambers essentially, except yeah. for TikTok, where you find yourself interacting with people all the time. I mean, I now have young people who've discovered me through TikTok and then they're like <laughs> just discovering my music. I'm like, okay, hey, you know, yeah. I, keep the, I keep the door open. Do you feel like you have to keep reinventing yourself uh, as a musician at the moment or, or, or is it um, something where you just see where it goes? Is, 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 it, is it a deliberate thing? Um, it's kind of a mixture. I think the artists that I grew up admiring, mm. like, you know, I was listening to that Daniel Johns podcast and he said something similar, like the, the artists he grew up admiring were the ones that kept changing. I, I kind of view myself as less like Madonna, but more like, you know, Neil Young or Tom Waits, that <laughs> yeah. even as they evolved, you sensed they were there at the core of it the whole time. Yeah, And yeah. then you can try on slightly different costumes and slightly different, ways of communicating and aesthetics and production styles and stuff. But, but at the end of the day, it's me with a guitar writing songs. So, you know, you can like tart it up in different ways. Do you sort of um, regret anything looking back? Like Bernard Fanny called you a, a young, precocious little 
C word uh, at one point, and, and you were, you know, you would just go through a cocky phase, and that's fine. You were admiring different musicians, different people who were the same, and it was the late nineties too. So, I mean, I think at the end of the day, the more sort of like, um, I guess, kind of unpredictable your choices are, at the time mm. they cause chaos, yeah. but as you go further down your life, they actually also earn you the freedom to be your own person. Mm. So, you know, the less you kind of play by the rules obsessively, which is, you know, what a lot of people do, making very like kind of conservative choices in the short term that can pay off, but in the long term, it's not, uh, I think it's not that good. So, so mm. yes, like things, there for sure are things that caused chaos in my life but i think ultimately they they sent the message that i was an artist who was going to do whatever i wanted to do mm. and i think that has sort of paid off in the long run did you ever get to meet bernard again after oh yeah comment? i've met bernard a few times i mean look <laughs> at the end of the day everyone grows up and you're like there's everyone gets real problems you yeah. know what i mean yeah. and those, those young young man's problems are not very uh yeah not very interesting now I've got to ask you, how'd you meet your wife? I met um, her once. She's amazing. And and you guys have just hit this incredible life with your daughter and you're, you're doing music together and shows. We actually met uh, in this house that we live in now together. Yeah, um, right. I was 18. I just finished my HSC and I'd come out here and I'd made an album. And I only really knew a couple of people, but one of the people I knew was dating, uh, who was Ioni's best friend they were dating yeah. at the time and and I, it was christmas and i didn't really have anything to do and he said you want to come up to my girlfriend's best friend's house and we'll hang out there and i ended up um, taking mushrooms with her family and, and i was like <laughs> and i was like i like these people i like it here and we didn't yeah. go on a date till 10 years later so uh, wow wow yeah because yeah. i remember you put up a post on your instagram uh, i think it was like last year you were showing the comparisons of it might have been 1985, yeah, how yeah, you yeah, looked yeah. and how she looked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, she's eight years older than me. So yeah. that made that made a big difference at, at that age, but now yes. it makes less of a difference, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, you're certainly a great team. and uh, Yeah. You know, she, Look, I think the main thing is that's one of those things with relationships. Like a huge part of it is just finding someone that you are a good team with you're going to go through hard things and you're going to go through different challenges and, you know, and ups and downs. But if you're, if you're a good team, if you're good collaborators, then it leaves room for sort of anything can happen from there. Well, look, I can't wait to see you guys again. So you're going to be in LA till sort of yeah, probably mid next like, year. Exactly. Get back to Australia after that. And then uh, with a bit of luck, um, you know, shows and uh, yep. just just getting into the country will be probably a whole lot easier by then, hopefully, yeah, as well. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. Ben Lee, it has been an absolute pleasure and it's it's nice to pick your brain and, and we've, we've caught up sort of so many times over the years, but it's nice to do a, a deep dive into your head and see what's going on. And, yeah, um, man. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited about your podcast. Well, there we go. Ben Lee, what an interesting guy, uh, someone who has well and truly taken advantage of uh, the lockdowns. He's uh, got himself out there. He's on the verge of something massive with his brand new album due in June next year. And of course, what a great combo, he and his wife too, Ioni. They're uh, a brilliant family. 
and uh, can't wait to catch up with them again. Ben Lee, Ep2 on The Rhino. Thank you so much for subscribing and checking it out. And of course, make sure you click the follow button, whether you're on Spotify or Apple or Anchor or Google, and you'll get the podcast every single week. We're going to drop another episode in less than a week. We'll catch you then. This is The Rider with Becco.